Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. I am very, very excited today to have John Rolak on. John is the founder of Nutiva. John has sourced and formulated $1 billion in retail sales of organic superfoods. He is a serial entrepreneur, investor, writer, philanthropist, and executive producer of the Netflix blockbuster regenerative agricultural film that we absolutely love, Kiss the Ground. And John has founded six nonprofit organizations, including Great Plains Regeneration Agroforestry, Regeneration Communities, ARC, and Forest Forever. Thank you so much, John, for joining today. I really appreciate it. Good to be here, uh, Nika. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. And, you know, I'm going to start this out by we shared an employee that worked for you and then worked for us. And when she started um, working for us, she goes, Nika, you have to meet John because he's as weird as about stuff as you are. And so I was always so excited to meet you because I, you know, I was like the one always trying to get the microwave out of like the, you know, the community kitchen and like, you know, all of the food. out. And she's like, John would do the same thing. Like he wouldn't let us have a microwave. And I was like, I love this guy before I ever met you. So I was really happy to meet somebody that, you know, has the same kind of thinking around those things. What we ended up was no microwave in the, in the office kitchen. Uh, but we let the microwave for the production because uh, they really wanted it. And and we said, okay, we'll let them do that. But microwave is, is not a good thing to, you don't want to microwave your food for various various reasons. But, you know, and, and uh, there's a reason why microwaves are not allowed to be sold to consumers in Russia. You know, they, they understand about about the impacts of radiation and, and uh, you know, changing, altering the, the food structure. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that they could do that in Russia. I um I studied with this really amazing doctor for a few years and yeah, that was one of his few things and he taught me that even, you know, if you have a microwave like 3 rooms down from you that the radiation, you know, affects you, you know, that far out. And so I haven't had a microwave god in probably like I don't know, maybe 20 years. I don't even know if I ever had a microwave, but um it's definitely not. And it doesn't make the food taste good either. It's it's very, yeah. So anybody sure. that's listening, do your research on microwaves and and uh, try to heat your food in, a, in an oven. Anyways, um, there's so many questions I have for you, but I would love to know just a little bit about your story um, and how you started out um, being interested in hemp and starting Nutiva and coconut. Um, you're obviously such a leader um, in the natural food industry. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. I had several certain things that went on in my life that that had a significant impact. I really feel how we grow up and the environment we're in really determines a lot, um, impacts us and, uh, you know, how, what we find important and, you know, shapes us uh, so much because we just absorb a lot when we're younger. So I grew up in Pasadena near, near, you know, nine miles uh, from Los Angeles in the Pasadena area. And it was very polluted. In the nineteen sixties, mm. there was no air pollution controls. It was one of the smoggiest cities in the world. It was hard to breathe. Uh, so you go out and play, and you come home, and your lungs would hurt, you know, from playing outside from the smog. But my, I was fortunate. My parents, on a trip to Seattle, decided to purchase a, a, a remote island, no running water, no electricity. Uh, so I would spend a few months on these islands, one of these islands, and then we ended up getting another island in the Pacific Northwest. So spending time in nature, no electricity, very simple living, and then uh, 10 months a year in very polluted environment, um, even though, you know, I mean, I lived in a, you know, we had a nice house and, I, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to uh, you know, to have a lot of, a lot of opportunities um, and, but that really impacted me. And then at 21, they dumped nuclear waste by an unidentified truck driver uh, 10 miles from my house. Are you kidding me? That's just infuriated me. And the rate and back then, the version of what we have as the internet was radios. You know, everybody would listen to radios in the in the uh, you know in the 60s and 70s. So the DJ just kept talking about it, and that got me to really start thinking about. It. So I. I started reading more, you know, what's going on? Like, like, you know, uh, 
just looking at the hole in the ozone layer and landfills overflowing, dead whales washing up and pollution. And so I became an environmental activist. And the first year I was very angry. It was kind of like, take me to who's in charge of running this earth because they're destroying it pretty badly. Like, who are these people? And then after a while, I realized a lot of it was the consumer choices, the lifestyle choices that, that we made impacted to that. And, and that's when I kind of set out my life journey was how do we live on planet earth and, and restore it and live in a, in a more ecological way. And, and that was 40 years ago. And, uh, that was, uh, that was some of the things that really impacted me. I also was a, I started reading the Wall Street Journal because my dad did. So I started reading the Wall Street Journal every day since I was like 13. I learned a lot about business that way. And I got adopted by a Jewish father and son coin dealer that I learned a lot about business and, and you know, all the things that go on in, in the coin world uh, and started up my own coin business at, at 13. And oh, that's so, cool. you know, and I kind of had this, so I had this idea in my twenties was to help the environment and make money. And my parents were like, like, well, John, you should be practical, go out and make a lot of money. And then you can help people after that. <laughs> of course, I didn't want to listen to my parents. You know, usually you're stubborn when you're in your twenties, right? You know, you're not listening to your parents. But uh, I remember my grandfather once told me, I, and I'll just say that I know this sounds really crazy, but when I was 16, what do we know when we're 16? You remember when you were 16 and what Nothing. you did, right? Yeah. Like, like when I was 16, I literally was going to, like, I was really into like making money and, you know, kind of hustling and things. I literally was going to sell cigarette machines to fast food restaurants. Oh my God. At 16. <laughs> yeah. There's some ad, some ad. I never, like, I just looked at it and I said, oh, Gosh, I you know you know maybe I could do that. You know, I was 16. What did I know? My grandfather said maybe you should try. It was the best thing though because I told my grandfather and he says maybe you should try to do something that you believe in. I think oh, you'd do yeah. well that way. And that was great advice. And so that's what I set out to do in my 20s. And uh, uh, it took me a while, uh, but uh, you know, it was persistent. And and uh, you know, I've been blessed to be able to you know, work and in the environmental field and nonprofits and in business and started Nativa, you know, with 500 hemp bars, selling them out of my trunk of my car and then got mixed up with the DEA because they, they said that my hemp bars are the same category as heroin. And I was going to be facing 10 to 15 years of jail if I kept selling my food bars. Um, How did you first get into hemp and using hemp in food? That's a good question. I got into hemp because... And it wasn't about food. It was in 1988, I became a forest activist because they were destroying all the forests and, and you know, all the redwood forests, as you know, mm-hmm. cutting down a lot of the forests in, in Northern California. And I helped run a campaign, uh, a local campaign in Mendocino called Measure B. And then I formed an organization called Forest Forever. We did a statewide campaign to ban clear cutting over two and a half acres. We raised $50 million. Wow. We raised $7 million, almost won. The timber industry raised 50 million and they beat us. So in that, it was like, well, okay, if you're not going to cut down trees to build your house, what are you going to build your house out of? So I kept hearing this thing called hemp. I wrote a book in 1995 on called Industrial Hemp and then wrote another book called Hemp Horizon 1997. So I was interested in hemp as a, as a, as a, from an ecological point of view, as a replacement for trees, fiberglass insulation. And it also, you know, you, it had a nut, you could, you know, you could use it for food. So that led me to, to start Nativa, which means the nut of sativa, Nativa, oh. the nut of sativa. So that's how, that's kind of how, how it got going. And I felt that hemp was the easiest way to really change the hemp industry because it's easy it's much easier to crush a seed or shell it than it is to try to try to make hemp fiber into clothing so my idea was if i could build a big enough market for hemp we could grow it in america and we and we import it from canadian farmers so that's a little how how nativa came about i love that that's so interesting um i was i was listening to um a podcast recently and then talking to a friend of mine that's a a doctor and you know one of the things that we were talking about in the podcast was talking about was how many people you know die every year of opioid overdose and how if hemp and and THC was legal like how many deaths you know because people usually start taking it because of pain 
And um, how many deaths in the United States would probably be prevented um, by legalizing it and, you know, making it available for people who are in chronic pain or acute pain. And it totally blew my mind. I mean, it is so insane when you look at those statistics, um, especially with the like pretty much zero toxicity effects of of CBD and, and THC and, and yeah. So the, the, you know, the CBD and the THC that's in, in the foods, you don't really get that, but that's more in the, in the extracts of the, yeah. of the flower and, you know, different varieties have um, hemp varieties. A lot of times that are low in THC and some varieties are higher in CBD. And uh, I actually started a company called re botanicals, which is certified organic CBD. I've tried it. So, um, so I was was involved in, and then it was a crazy adventure. I'm still a shareholder, but no longer, you know, active in the company. I've been a health nut. The other thing was that, in terms of impact to me, when I was in my early 20s, I started cramping playing basketball. My diet was really bad when I was in my early 20s, and so I had to like figure out like why am I cramping? I'd run down the court and I'd like grab my legs, like my calf would be like cramping. So. I, I had to change my diet and that kind of led me to become like a health nut in my twenties. Mm-hmm. And I was very mm-hmm. fortunate because then I changed my diet and go to spas and do cleanses and fasts and eat different foods and, you know, start uh, learning about composting and, and organic farming and permaculture. Uh, I went to uh, woodwork and organic farms. And, and so, yeah, definitely realized that the importance about soil health and it's all tied together, you know, how we grow our food and our mm-hmm. health. And the other thing I was just going to mention is I'm also a big fan of microdosing uh, psychedelic mushrooms in very mm-hmm. small amounts. You can't consciously tell, you know, like you could drive, you know, you can go, you know, go right. play basketball or go for a run or, or do a podcast, you know, and you do it every four or five days. I find that a lot of people get significant benefits out of that. So that's, that's something that I, that I enjoy. You just do a very small amount and uh, it, it you kind of like welcoming the, uh, the mushroom queendom into your ecosystem. Yeah. And I, I find it helps, helps me in my basketball, which oh, really? I need all the help as a, <laughs> as a 60 plus year old, you know, basketball player playing against 20 and 30 year old men, you know. I love that. I haven't actually done microdosing myself, but I do have um, a bunch of friends and people in my life that have used it for anxiety and depression with really, really amazing results, um, which is so great. And luckily in the Bay Area, there are places where you can legally, you know, figure out your microdosing and all of that, um, which is so great. I'm also a big plan of, I'm an herbalist, but I'm, you know, of using plant medicine in all different forms. And that's, that's so amazing. One of the other questions I was going to ask you, just because you obviously have so much knowledge about soil health and regenerative farming and, um, you know, eating a plant-based diet. You know, I recently was listening to somebody talk about how we've gotten and and bringing it back to your story of what you experienced when you were younger um, with the dumping, the toxic dumping. You know, somebody was talking about how we've gotten so out of balance, you know, as human beings in terms of our relationship to nature and how we live our lives and, you know, how pe- most people are just like looking for a pill to solve their physical problems or mental, emotional problems rather than being in the sunshine or living in harmony with nature, or those, those types of things. And, and somebody was talking about, you know, we're just so incredibly out of balance on so many different levels, whether it's pollution or um, the way we eat, the way we farm, you know, all of the, those basic things that in some way, because our bodies are, you know, a a microcosm of of earth and the soil and all that, that they were relating it even to COVID. And that, you know, maybe one of the reasons that COVID has happened is because we are so out of balance as beings living on this planet. And that one way to look at it is it's an opportunity for people to realize that we're so off whack and, you know, so out of whack and how do we get more in attunement with nature and, you know, our life cycles? What do you feel about, you know, what's happened like with the environment and, and COVID? There's a, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, we're definitely out of balance with nature and it's been going on for a long time. And so we're, we're kind of like, in my view, we're frogs in the water. And the water is rather warm right now. And most frogs 
i.e. humans, don't even understand. They're not coherent enough to understand because there's so much pressures. You got to pay your mortgage, mm-hmm. pay your rent. Now your rent's way up. You know, you have those those economic challenges. COVID is kind of a, it's a sociological kind of a study on how we deal, you know, with the virus. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting. The United States, you know, we spend the most on healthcare, and yet we have one of the highest death rates in uh, per capita in the world, yeah. more than almost every other country. There's only a handful that are that have more deaths per capita. Most people don't even realize that. I mean, it is it is it's so true. If you go to the hospitals in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, following uh, September of last year when they had a surge of, of Delta. And if you go to the hospitals in, in Northern India, in Delhi, Uttar Pradesh, you know, Uttar Pradesh has 240 million people. Mm-hmm. Their hospitals have been empty. Mm. There's nobody in the hospitals because what they do is as soon as you get COVID and they have a protocol there, they give you vitamin D, they give you vitamins C and, and they also do um, a generic uh, repurposed medicines. And, the whole point is to reduce the viral spread. So if on day one or day two, when it goes into your body, that's in your mouth, you reduce the spread, your body can fight it off. And if you take vitamin D, if you've already been taking vitamin D, we could slash the amount of people in hospitals if we would have just given people vitamin D. But you see, we don't give people vitamin D. There's a reason why a lot of tribals, tribal members who are not necessarily eating junk food, but you know, eat a more natural diet, like in South America or Central America. You know, the hospitals are not full of COVID patients in like in El Salvador and in Guatemala. Um, I'd love to hear about your lawsuit um, in your hemp advocacy with, I think it was with Dr. Bronner's and how long, how long did that last? I mean, that was, that's amazing that, that you did that. Yeah. In 2001. So I founded Nativa in the summer of 1999. Immediately, the, like the state department said that I had to return my hemp bars. They were sitting in a warehouse and I said, you don't have jurisdiction. So I kept selling. They tried to block it at the border because I was importing the hemp seeds uh, and and uh, these candy bars with four seeds and honey from Canada. Ten days after 9-11, they put in the Federal Register that any THC in a candy bar or any food was the same category as heroin. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, I had the uh, U.S. Customs and the Department of Justice and the George Bush, you know, juniors administration coming after me. And I just said, wow, are they going to be knocking <laughs> on my door? Because this was a war on terror. You know, they were grabbing people and suspects of, of terrorism or whatever. And um, ironically, the Biden administration just announced that misinformation on COVID is now you you are considered in this category. And the Homeland Security is putting warnings out now. Are you kidding me? I didn't hear that. Wow. Yeah, just last week. Yeah, they're saying um, misinformation around COVID is is considered a national security threat. I, it, we're at a point where our government is telling us what to think and what opinions to have. And I think that's always a, a big red flag of something going on that shouldn't because. Yeah, yeah. And full disclosure, I'm not a fan of the Democrats or the Republicans these days. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know what to call myself anymore. I'm right there with you. I'm for the people. I'm for the people. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, for people. Yeah, that uh, was Nativa's tagline: nourishing people and planet. So we ended up suing the. Um, so I got connected up with Dr. Bronner's and said, "Hey, they're going to make hemp illegal. We need help." So I got Dr. Bronner's and I got Nature's Path because we were doing about ten thousand a month, fifteen thousand. We were just a tiny little company back then, Nativa. So we filed in federal court. Got someone who specialized in that and and, and won that lawsuit in in uh, two thousand and four. So two and a half years later. So. That must have felt so good to win that. I mean, congratulations. I was so exhausted when the when it was over. And everybody said, now you get to really grow the hemp industry. Like, get up and run. Oh, <laughs> like, my I'm God. Just, I just try to recover yeah. from fighting the federal government for two years, psychologically, emotionally. I mean, one week, like, and, and they, they, put in, they put in two orders. So it was like one week. You could sell to Whole Foods. The next week, no, you can't sell to Whole Foods. Then you call back like, oh, well, which ruling? Oh, well, well, can I send you a fax? 
you know, it was just crazy making. And and then, um, but I, I introduced, Nativa introduced coconut oil in 2003. And when we really, you know, it was no THC in coconut oil. So I didn't think they could mess with me there, but, you know. <laughs> I remember when Syngenta gave the American Heart Association $500,000 about seven or eight years ago. And all of a sudden, there's all these reports that saturated fat causes heart disease. And as you know, all these people from you know Thailand and Sri Lanka, they eat coconut oil for you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And all these obese people come from Thailand eating all the coconut. Yeah. They come to America, they start eating all sorts of corn and canola oil, and they get super skinny. You know, it's a, you know, it's a major epidemic in America, all these people coming from other countries and getting super skinny here with the, with the corn and canola, because that's what, that's what Yale and that's what Harvard Medical School, they all say that the healthiest oils are, are corn and canola. I mean, it just blows your mind. I mean, and it just goes to show what we were talking about before. It's like, you know, I mean, science, when the people funding the studies are pharmaceutical companies that are not only making money on like pesticides and all that, and then, you know, the full circle of people that get cancer or have high cholesterol, um, you know, it, it is, that is an area that is very important yeah. for people to understand because. Yeah. And one, one last thing I wanted to just share, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in some other things yeah. is this is a, a very troubling statistic. The amount of people who are dying, not from COVID has increased like it's like way off the radar scale in starting Q3 and Q4 of 2021. And, and then what's going to be very interesting to look at Q, Q1 of, of 2022. So essentially America's health, uh, and they don't know what, there's no, nobody's really researching why, but the amount of annualized deaths has just accelerated not by one or two percent by ten percent or more which is unheard of in in and the people in that field that's a troubling sign uh that's going on there yeah and i think once again like bringing it back to um you know how we're living our lives and and the seed oil is a great example i just saw um a chart that showed um you know, the correlation between when we started recommending these seed oils um, and the the rates of stroke, diabetes, heart disease, um, all of it rises with the rise in use of the seed oils. And I mean, if you just look back to the beginning of time when we were eating, you know, off the farm and eating heavy, you know, heavy cream and butter and they were using tallow and, you right. know, just eating a super clean diet, heart disease was very, very low. And, um, you know, thankfully, I think a lot of people have woken up from um, that story. But if you are somebody who doesn't cook your own food, um, the chances that you're eating seed oil every day are very high because they're in pretty much like all packaged salad dressings, like all processed food. And um, yeah, if there's one thing people could take away from that pod, our podcast, that would be like a really important one is to stop the seed oils. They cause so much inflammation in the body. The one of the seed oils I am a fan of is hemp oil, but you know, you just, you don't need a huge amount of it. Um, it's got omega-3s, it's got omega-6s in it, but it's got omega-3s and GLN SDA. So you can do that. I, I like to take a one part olive oil, one part hemp oil, and then one part like lemon juice is a really simple um, salad dressing. The other thing is a make is um, sunflower oil that's that's um, mimics olive oil, very rich in omega nine, because you want to avoid omega six. The average consumer uh, in America, average American is like fifteen or twenty to one mm -hmm. or thirty to one, and and you really want to be five to one or three to one or two to one, and so the key is to avoid omega sixes as much as you can, which is corn, soy, canola, <clears throat> sunflower oil that's not um, that's not the high oleic mimicking olive oil, and um, and then and then also getting sources of omega threes, which is walnuts and hemp mm -hmm. and chia. Also, cashews are very high in omega six, so so eating cashews on a regular basis is, is challenging also. Mm -hmm. And then also, and if you're eating milk and meat, if it's, if it's pasture, it's much lower in omega-6. If you're feeding mm -hmm. uh, animals corn and soy, the omega-6 shoots up. So it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, and the other point to that also is um, if you are having those things is choosing organic because so many of those seed oils are processed um, with toxic chemicals, which make them even more toxic and rancid and inflammatory. So um, 
Let me ask you a question. A lot of people, you know, because we we obviously know about canola oil and and vegetable oil and, you know, that those oils are highly inflammatory and they're, you know, unfortunately they're really cheap. So most restaurants use those oils. But then like there's oils, like you said, like hemp oil or cold pressed flax oil or organic cold pressed uh, sesame oil. I mean, in my opinion, I always say, yeah, avocado. But there are some seed oils, like you said, like hemp, a little bit of like sesame, organic sesame oil. Um, You know, when you use it in moderation, it's not the same thing as doing like a vegetable oil or like a a non-organic canola oil, even organic canola oil. I wouldn't eat canola oil. But there's, you know, there is some balance with like, you know, the there's a lot of benefits for for flax oil as well and, and hemp seed oil. So what are your top oils that you cook with? I like to cook with avocado oil. Nativa has the new organic avocado oil. Oh, I love that. I use that oil. It's so good. I love that. Also, I cook with coconut oil. Uh, um, I'll I'll uh, add, not for frying, but I'll use olive oil. And also, I like our Nativa red palm oil, which is very rich in vitamin A and uh, tocotrienols. There's vit- vitamin E, is which you, you get in a lot of seed oils. Um, which are more common, uh, tocopherols. Uh, but tocotrienols are a more rare form and they're very good for very good for your immune system. So I'm a big fan. And we get ours from Ecuador. We're not killing, you know, orangutans and it's done in a in a in a regenerative way, uh, certified organic. So those are some of the things. And then I like using coconut mana, which is our whole coconut dried and milled. It's forty percent, forty four, forty four percent fat. So you get, it's like a whole food. I do like a mung bean uh, stew mm. and, I, and I like to put coconut mana in there. And I'm also a big fan of a, of a, a unusual rare grain called fonio, F-O-N-I-O. And it's from uh, West Africa. Mm. And it's, it's very easy to grow. It grows in poor soils. It's a very regenerative uh, crop. And most people don't know about it, but it's up and coming fonio. Um, it's not easy to source. Does it have gluten or is it gluten free? It's gluten-free. It's about 7% protein. It's got some good amino acids, got good minerals, and, and it's a survival food. And the more people buy it here, the more they'll start growing it in Africa. And at some point, when climate change really hits p- people in Africa, when, when wheat doesn't arrive from Europe or the Ukraine, they're going to be in tough shape. A lot of people are going to starve to death in Africa. And that's just only a matter of time when, when climate change hits uh, agricultural production. The United States, we our number one export is 2 billion tons a year of topsoil. I just saw this. Um, you probably saw it. I just was reading this article of the new bioengineered label that they have. Um, did you see that? And it looks exactly like an organic seal, but it says bioengineered now to know if it's GMO. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, It's and, such and, a joke. And unfortunately, that was passed with help by the Organic Trade Association and uh, leaders of the organic food movement, including Organic Valley. And they helped pass that. And then Obama signed that about four years ago. And we, I remember being at one of the expos, sitting in the room, and people were so upset. And people in the leadership, uh, people in the board of directors didn't even know the Organic Trade Association was behind closed doors lobbying for this. And this is what Mon- Monsanto- Why? They never said why. And, and uh, I have my theories, but- I can't believe. Yeah, I, I saw it for the first time a couple of days ago and I was shocked. I mean, actually, I wasn't shocked, yeah. actually. It makes perfect sense that it would happen. But but I think it's really important for people to understand now more than ever when you see the little labels that you understand, you know, what they mean. You know, we're, we're certified organic and you guys are too at Urban Remedy. And, um, you know, the time and the resources it takes to be certified organic so you can trace, you know, every ingredient back to the farm and ensure that it actually is organic. Um, and then they come out with a label like that that looks like it's organic. And it's like, these are the foods that are sprayed with the most toxic pesticides and have genetically modified ingredients in it. So that's something for people listening to definitely uh, look out for. Um, I'd love to go back. I want to learn a little bit more about the avocado oil. And I'm so happy that you guys have the organic because I love avocado oil. How did you guys start processing it organic? And what is it really? How do you guys make it? I'm very confused. I don't even know. So 
it's not easy to make um, avocado oil because you've got this big pit and, and you know, there's a less, much less yield, you know, compared to, uh, let's say, palm fruit or olives, etc. So it's more challenging. We get ours from Ethiopia. We have a lot of small farmers there that grow the organic avocados. And so it's been a, it's been a long process. Um, it was introduced, you know, after, you know, I stepped down from CEO maybe four years ago. So it was kind of after I stepped down. So I'm not as, as, uh, as involved in Nativa anymore. Um, so I kind of joke like Nativa is like a, like a 22 year old, <laughs> like it's like having a 22 year old child, <laughs> you know, I don't have any kids, but it does its thing now. And you kind of have to, you know, yeah. do that. And, and, uh, so, so, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of art of detachment of the, of the founder, yeah. you know, um, so. I, yeah, I'm, I'm still in that thing. I know it's, it's a challenging, but it's important. And I, I guess that's a, a good segue. I did have, I wanted to ask you another question about palm oil, but I guess that's a good segue. I do interview a bunch of founders. I've interviewed mostly a lot of uh, local women founders, but, um, you know, what advice I always like to ask, like, what advice would you give to somebody starting out now that is passionate about food or an idea? Like what words of wisdom can you share with people that are kind of starting out doing their own thing? Yeah. Good question. Um, a few things. One is that really focusing on the why and your culture is very important. A lot of times you're going to get investors, people are going to come into the company that are interested in money, you know, in the career, but really focusing on the why is your organization? Why is your brand important? That's really important. And building the right culture is so important, especially when you're starting out. You know, we had a lot of challenges in Nativa. We grew at 50% a year for over a decade. I remember having a half a dozen mm. people and then going to 10 people and, and then 20 people. And at a certain point, there was a lot of lot of things that went on. And I maybe sometimes had, we had some challenges and, you know, like, dealing with the personnel, you know, some of the higher ex up, up executives that we would bring in sometimes. Mm -hmm. One thing that we did is we had, we had leadership training for like middle managers and, and people who are interested in going into middle mm -hmm. management. And, and that made a big difference. And specifically, we had rock stars, women, especially BIPOC women that, that were, weren't always treated so well in other companies. And uh, they really pulled through and maybe helped, you know, make up for some of the mess ups that me as the CEO, you know, thinking, oh, we got to go this direction. And meantime, we just got to take, we got to make sure business gets handled, you know, make sure you make the product right and ship it yeah. out and make sure the quality, all those things. So team is really important. And, and also if you're younger, if you're interested in starting up a company today, I'd say, Go work for somebody in the industry, in the category you're interested in, and go do mm -hmm. that for a year or two and, and learn on their dime and, until you start. I mean, I started Nativa in my, you know, when I was like, uh, when I was like 40. So I'd already worked for, you know, I'd already done different in some different sectors and things and had some different startups. So uh, I think that's important. And, and also everybody doesn't need to be a, a founder. It's, mm -hmm. it's very challenging and especially today. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. not easy. Supply chain is very, very difficult, very costly because of because of COVID and, and mm -hmm. shortage of shipping and trucking and all sorts of things. So and then the last thing, though, that I would say for anyone, the most important thing you can do in any organization, work and reflect on your own self. How can you be a better person? How can you be a better leader? And one of the key things is is really look at do you hate people? Do you hate the opposition? <laughs> right. If you're really passionate about politics or food, do you hate the other people? Because what I find is there's a lot of hate in our country mm -hmm. on all both sides of the aisle. And as Martin Luther King says, we don't have time for hate. Mm -hmm. And so really look at letting go of hate. And sometimes people just have to change. And uh, we need to, I think that's really important. And uh, spend time in nature, focus on things that you like, like my grandfather said, John, maybe back back when I was 16, maybe you should think about doing something in a career or business that you believe in. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are such great words of wisdom. And I agree about, you know, going to work somewhere before you start doing, you know, what you're excited about, because I I did the same thing. I started Urban Remedy. I was an acupuncturist for over 10 years and, you know, it just kind of happened. And I, I mean, I don't regret it at all, but the, I think people just don't understand the amount of work that goes into really starting a business, especially with no experience and I made so many mistakes. Oh my God. I think back about the things that I did, but the one thing was that I was so passionate about what I was doing and loved it so much that that's why I was doing it. So that's what I always try to tell people too. It's like, do what you love, do what turns you on, do what makes you, you know, what you feel your purpose is in the world. And that's like one of the most important things. And it, I mean, and you're a perfect example of that. Like you knew at a young age that you wanted to change the world and, you know, support the health of the world and the soil and and people and, and look at what you accomplished with your lawsuits and your, you know, all of these amazing ingredients that you offer to people. So you, you are a really great example of that. So thank you so much for sharing that, those words of wisdom. Thanks. And now I'm putting more of my time in a new nonprofit called Agroforestry Regeneration Communities, or ARC. That's what I'm really passionate about right now. Oh, tell us. I would love to learn more about that. One of the things that I do is I, I have a, a, a fund, a donor advised fund. It's a way for me. It's my my kind of philanthropic, you know, contribution. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I've been giving away a fair amount of money, you know, to different projects around the world. And I noticed a couple of them that were very successful. You know, one was in Guatemala and one was in East Africa and they were planting trees. And it was, I really liked what they were doing. So essentially, ARC finds existing organizations that, that have boots on the ground that are passionate about planting out food forests, working with small farmers. Mm. So we work in Guatemala and in East Africa and our group. So we're essentially like a network. And so we help them with funding. We help them, um, you know, with best practices. And one of the things is that these small farmers, especially the ones who are under one hectare, a couple acres or less, they're very challenging. A lot of times they just grow maize or corn. Mm -hmm. So that's what, whether you're in Guatemala or Mali uh, or Malawi, where we work in Southern Southeast Africa, they grow the same crop and they all have issues. You know, they're using chemical fertilizers, getting more expensive. The soil gets worse. They don't have a lot of biodiversity. So we work with them to put in food for us. Ramp. When you say food forest, do you mean like a regenerative farm where there's different species of plants all kind of working together? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I'll, I'll give an example. We take farms that all they do is grow maize. Mm-hmm. That they have one crop a year. If there's a bad drought or a bad storm, it gets washed away. You know, the soil gets worse. What we'll do is say, let's take a portion of your farm and instead of, or a big portion or all of it, depending on what they want to do. In each each region and farmers different, and we'll go in and we'll plant for every one fruit tree. We'll maybe plant ten nitrogen fixing trees. So we essentially plant a tree that's its own fertilizer oh, wow. farm. You know, so we don't need to buy fertilizer. So it takes nitrogen from the air through the roots, through the nodules, and it's particular types of trees. And we do that. So now there's the soils are have nitrogen. So because plants like nitrogen. Normally, they use synthetic fertilizers. It's what Bill Gates is promoting. It's what the World Bank's promoting. It's what USDA promotes. It's what uh, Department of Agriculture's, and it's one of the worst things in the world yeah. um, in terms of pollution. And it goes in the oceans. It leads to dead soils, soil erosion. So we plant these, and then we plant different types of fruit trees. So like planting avocados and mangoes and mac nuts and, and different types of you know jackfruit. And then we'll do uh, crops in between, like we'll grow uh, ginger, turmeric, pineapples, cassava, uh, sugarcane. And so then those are crops that they can eat and that they can sell. Um, And then we'll also take some of these nitrogen-fixing trees and plant them at the edges of the cornfields and also plant them every five meters. And so it provides some shade and you and so essentially we're mimicking a natural forest because I a natural that. forest doesn't have irrigation and it doesn't use chemical fertilizers right. but it grows very fertile so we mimic nature really at the end of the day what i really do is i find things and systems that speak to me mm-hmm. at at a heart level at a soul level at a intellectual level 
and that really are mimicking nature. So if we observe nature with a beginner's eyes, and the one thing is I always can learn more. So if you we learn, we observe nature, and we can transform our systems, we can create a regenerative planet if we're interested. Sadly, too many people believe that leaders are going to solve these. And so we have a corrupt system, whether you have a Republican president, you have a Democratic president, whatever, they support the incumbents and the incumbent system is broken and they're not interested in a solution. I've been at this for 40 years and trying to change how we grow food, how we work in the environment, protect our forests. And so some days I'm very optimistic because I'm optimistic in nature. I mean, you and I, we have to be optimistic. We found a company, right? <laughs> right? We, right. You know, we create products and we hire people and say, we're going to do this. And, and uh, so yeah. there's a lot of good things going on at the same time. There's a lot of societal trends that are very concerning. Climate change, you know, mm-hmm. we're losing one to two percent of all winged insects every year. We've lost 75 percent in the last 50 years. And the number one reason is is from pesticides and agricultural chemicals. And these are the things that environmental groups, the other thing I'll let, just let you know, the major environmental groups in the United States are captured and are essentially agents of Wall Street. The Sierra Club, all these big environmental groups, they essentially just educate and spout a vision that says oil and coal is bad solar and wind and tesla is good end of subject that's how we solve climate change and it's just not based on reality and they get millions of dollars to send that message they don't tell people you need to ride your bike more you need to get a car with better gas mileage We need to buy organic food. We need to restore nature. We need to change agriculture. We need to change policy. And we can't even get the Sierra Club to participate in changing the farm bill in 2023 because they have radical vegans in there that are so disrespectful and hateful that when I talk to people in their their organization, and I wrote an article called Make Make America Rivers Blue Again. So we are so ideological Mm -hmm that we've lost sight mm-hmm. of humanity and we've divided up into all these camps, you know, liberals, yeah. progressives, conservatives, freedom. And it's a bizarre world, but you know, people like you and I and others, we just keep on trying to do the best we can and hope for the best, right? There's so many rabbit holes when you look at um, like our political system and how, you know, we really are making, we're poisoning, we're, we're basically poisoning our population and our children have higher rates of, you know, all kinds of diseases now. And, you know, it's through the diet, it's through, there's glyphosate in the air that we're breathing in. So like all of that, you know, you can, can be really scary and really make you upset. But then like on the other side, there's so many people that are awake that, you know, understand organic and, you know, people like kiss the ground who you work with and, um, you know, all of these people that are doing such good work. And I always say like the few things that you can do, it's like, do what you can, like, you know, choose organic when you're going to the grocery store, vote with your dollars, you know, make your voice heard. And if we individually can make the best choices that we can, you know, I mean, that's how we change big food, at least, you know, if, if you look at what's happened with organics, um, you see these bigger companies having organic offerings, which isn't the panacea, but, um, you know, at least that's happening. And for, for me, you know, I try, I agree with you. I try not to get involved in the hate because like, once you start going down these rabbit holes, you can get so pissed off and feel so doom and gloom. Um, but the more we can stay in our center and, you know, like you said, really, truly connect with nature. I agree. Like that is really going to be like how we change. It's it's an individual decision making or lifestyle that affects globally. And I think there's so many people that are waking up to that right now. And that's my hope. But also, you know, like you said, it's really interesting because like we're even taught like cover up your skin and put sunscreen on every time you go out of the house because you're going to get skin cancer, you're going to age. And and it's like going back to the simple things, like let yourself get some, you don't want to get sunburned, but let yourself go outside and get some vitamin D. And the sunlight has so many other benefits besides vitamin D um, in terms of metabolic process and bone health and brain health and you know cellular vitality. And yeah, it's really about kind of waking up and and 
thinking critically with your own brain and connecting to your intuition when you're eating food or buying products that you're using in your house. If you're eating the standard American diet using the standard American products, you know, you are exposing yourself and your family to tons of pesticides and toxins and heavy metals. And even if you're eating organic, it's the same thing. And so, you know, it is about being conscious, you know, and it's, it's just a crazy time on this planet right now. Yeah. Appreciate all the the work that you're doing to create, you know, healthy, organic, um, more nutrient dense foods. And, and I certainly enjoy, um, your products. Uh, when I, when I'm at a, at a store, I can, I can grab some when I'm in the Bay area. You know, the other thing, just to, for people to understand, kind of talk about going another rabbit hole, these endocrine disruptors in these pesticides and herbicides, they actually are changing at the cellular level, our genes and how they express sexualization. Mm-hmm. We are essentially taking younger men and boys are being feminized through these chemicals and women are becoming more masculine. And this, we've seen this in frogs and amphibians, you know, from the decades of research, but they don't want to talk about that anymore. And we think, well, well, maybe that'll impact animals, but it's not going to impact us, but we are animals. Mm -hmm. And so this is the dysfunction. And who's in charge of regulating that? The FDA. You know, these dysfunctional organizations. And, and so the other thing I think is really important is is to compost. I have a thing. I'm, I wrote a book called Backyard Composting back in the 90s. And so before I was involved in Nativa, I used to go around and teach workshops on composting. And, and so don't waste a banana peel. Mm-hmm. Don't waste an avocado pit. Get that back onto the soil. If you don't have a yard, put some of it in the freezer, even some of it. Put, put the food scraps in the freezer and then take it out and go put it one of your friend's neighbors or dig a hole in the ground and bury it. Just, we need to return back and just doing just the little parts that we can do and, uh, uh, you know, spend time in nature, but it's, it's important for us to change the food system and soil health is so important. If, if we create healthy soil, and this is one of the things and kiss the ground, the film that I worked on for many years, that came out, that's on Netflix Healthy soil leads to healthy plants. Healthy plants leads to healthy animals and, and healthy healthy foods. And that also leads to a healthy ecosystem, healthy oceans, healthy climate. And there's more and more thought even that if we actually create healthy soil and create more biodiversity on the land, we can change a small water cycle. So we can actually bring back rain and drought areas when mm. we restore areas. I was at a regenerative almond field day last week in Madera in the Central California uh, Valley, Central Valley in California. And they were showing the farms that were regenerative, not just organic, but regenerative and organic, had 30% more bird species wow. you know, that were air and way more insects. And when the rainstorms come, most conventional almonds, the water just washes away. Their wells are dropping the depth of their wells and they're starting to run out of water. But if we could get massive areas of farmland where they, the soil is always covered, then when it rains, that water can go into the groundwater and we can actually uh, regenerate that water cycle because when the soil is not covered, then it, the temperature rises and there's a connection between the soil, the, the temperature and the biodiversity in the plants and how that communicates with rain clouds. That's a whole fascinating subject that most environmentalists don't even know about. Um, there's lots to learn about nature and uh, I'm passionate to put the time that I have uh, into into regenerating the planet. So I like to say, let's regenerate. I love it. That's such great. It's so great. And I, I love that. And I uh, we did an event with Kiss the Ground, and I and when you were talking, I was like remembering it. They were just they showed us with like bread or something how regenerative farms. It the water literally soaks into the soil, and conventional farming, the water just it doesn't even go into the soil. It just literally washes the toxic pesticides into the water system somewhere. So and the soil is basically similar to our own microbiome. So the more healthy the soil is, the healthier we're going to be. And, um, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I loved everything you talked about and, you know, all the work you've done, um, for the planet and offering us, you know, these beautiful food products and you're just so amazing with everything you've done. So thank you so much. And I thought 
as a way to end, because you have so much knowledge and information, maybe you can um, share with the listeners just like a, like maybe your top three things um, that they can do in their life to help either, you know, related to like the organic food system or the soil. Like what are three simple things people can incorporate into their daily lives? Thanks. First off, I want to say, I want to thank you. My One of my good buddies, Steve Nacarato, as you know, is, is part of your team now. And, yeah. and when he joined... Um, your company. And he said, John, wow, Urban Remedy, it has such a great culture and, and people are really passionate about doing the right thing. And I, I want to thank you as a founder for holding that truth and holding that that space for that. And, um, you know, it made Steve feel like, wow, he's very, he just loves that mm-hmm. and, and wants to show up and participate. And I've talked to people who've worked for other companies and they don't they don't feel like going to work they don't have that aha and that's partly just holding the space of not hating and building the why you know why are we doing this so so thank you for that that means so much thank you so much for sharing that and i love thank you for yeah i love steve and he has obviously so much respect and has learned so much from you and um He's, he's getting to work with two uh, weirdo founders that are like super passionate about what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And by the way, weird is it's spelled in the old English way as W-Y-R-D. It means it's a, it's a sacred term in the Celtic mythology and it means your destiny. Oh, I love that. That makes sense. So three things is my three things are compost. Don't waste a banana peel or an avocado pit. Figure out what you can do. Don't hate and support growers and farmers of regenerative agriculture. And you can be regenerative if you eat meat and you can be regenerative if you're plant-based and together we can regenerate the world. And it's our, it's our, our best hope to address climate change, lack of nutrition, dying oceans. Regeneration is a universal theme that, that we can do that learn more about that. And there's a book that Paul Hawken recently wrote on regeneration. So that's what I'd like to share. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. And um, it's very challenging times to live. And it's also very beautiful. Enjoy this precious life that we have on this planet while we're still breathing and still have amazing food and family and friends. And uh, let's uh, be uh, remember to be blessed, to, you know, feel grateful for that. And then yeah. I guess the one last thing is gratitude. That's really helped me in my healing journey mm-hmm. is to be grateful for what I have, no matter how sometimes challenging it may be and depending on what's going on in our world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That is such an important part of uh, your daily practice is experiencing gratitude. And that will help. That is one thing that we can do really easily. That's free. That, that does even help your family and your friends when you're in gratitude and people see it, it's contagious. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. I feel uh, super blessed to have been able to have the opportunity to talk to you today. And I love all your products and my pantry is filled with all of them. So thank you so much for all the amazing work you've done and and offered to all of us. Thank you, Nika. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika and I'm wishing you a beautiful day. Mm